Ephesians, here we go. Uh, at least 12 weeks, uh, according to my math, uh, probably more than that is what we're going to spend. And so we're in it for the next three months, probably, or more. So with that being said, I want you to take your Bibles out, and we're going to dive right into Acts 19. So if you could take your Bible or go to Acts 19 this morning, I know it's not in Ephesians, but you'll see why in just a second. As we turn there, I just want to say a couple of things uh, before we get in. First thing, I'm not apologizing for this. I'm just giving you a heads up. We are going to read Ephesians 1.1 to Ephesians 6.24 this morning. Okay, there's a couple reasons for that. We'll get into that in just a second. Just wanted to give you a heads up. That's what's coming this morning. Okay, uh, I'm excited about it. Like, we're going to read the whole book in one sitting. It's going to take roughly 20 minutes. And so what does that mean? It means I have roughly 10 minutes to say everything I want to say this morning before we read. Okay, so if I start talking fast, just listen fast with me. Okay, here we go. Paul wrote this letter, right? Paul is in prison in Rome, writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, to the believers there. Okay, why do I mention that? I mention that because of this. Paul was a real person who wrote a real letter to real people. Right? He didn't write it. We are the benefits of it. 2 Timothy 3, this book is profitable for us. Like I truly and completely agree with that. But at the same time, it wasn't necessarily written to us. It wasn't written in 2022. It was written in 60 AD by a guy in prison who, who knew this church, is what we're going to see in Acts 19, who knew these people, who healed some of these people, and who led them to Jesus. And so, so if we just jump right into Ephesians and automatically think like, oh, this is speaking directly to me, like in a way it is because of the Holy Spirit, but in a way it's also written in 60 AD to a, a, a church planner, if you will, missionary, to the church he started. So if, we just, uh, if, you, if you were here for Gospel Community Classroom back in the summer, what was one of the main things that, that was a takeaway is that we so often jump to application. Like we read a text and it's like, what's the application of that? And that's not going to be our goal. Like, step one is understanding the context and what's going on in the world, what's going on in, the, in 60 AD, what's going on in the life of Paul, what's going on in the life of this church in Ephesus. Like, we have so much more to, to try to get into, and we're not going to do all that this morning. Uh, but we got a lot to figure out before we just run straight to application. Okay? Other thing that we just kind of need to know. Uh, Ephesus, for those of us who are wondering where it is, it is in Turkey, Asia Minor. It's right on a trade route. If you were to look at the map and if you know where Greece is, uh, if you could find Athens, if you would go directly east over the Aegean Sea, you would pretty much land in Ephesus. So what does that mean? It means everybody in Asia who wants to get to Greece, who wants to get to Rome, is probably going to come right through this trade route. It's also the center of, of idolatry and false gods and all the false worship and pagan practices. Okay, so, so lots of people, lots of business, lots of trade, and lots of idolatry. That is where Paul, God led Paul to go start this church and see believers. Okay, I, I mentioned we're going to read the whole book this morning. Here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, we can get so bogged down. I don't want to say bogged down. That sounds bad. We can get so focused on one, like, four or five verses and when we know what those verses say, we know the Greek, we can parse the Greek language if you want, we can go deep down at all this stuff, and yet we kind of forget where this fits in the whole context of Ephesians. Like, like we make a passage become its own little book, as it were, and, and it's like, no, 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 this has got to fit in the whole context of the book. And so what's the best way I can think of for us to get the whole context of the book is to read the whole book in one sitting. So that's one reason. Second reason. We spend a lot of time, and this kind of goes off the first one, we spend a lot of time uh, reading a couple verses, a uh, little bit of verse, a lot of bit of commentary, a lot of bit of me or whoever's up here speaking about it. Early church, church in Ephesus, do they get this letter from Paul? What do they have? They have a lot of reading and very little commentary. 
Like we want to know what the Holy Spirit has for us through the, through the pen of Paul. And so this morning, I, I want us to just get a feel for that. Like God's word is enough. We could come up here and read a passage every week and it would be enough. Like, like the gift of preaching and teaching is given to the church. Praise God for that. But the word of God is sufficient. And I don't want us to get away from that. Okay, so as we read, I'll talk about this right before we read. But as we read, I'm going to have certain things I want us to look for. I want certain things that if you take notes or jot down things in your Bible, I want you to, to feel free to, to make, make marks because that will help us when we get into discussion group later. Um, all right, so if you're in Acts 19, we're not going to read all of Acts 19 and 20. Uh, we're going to read plenty today, so we don't need to read all of that. But I just want to walk through. I want you to get a feel for Paul and this relationship that he has with the church in Ephesus. So verses 1 through 7 is an interesting story. Uh, Paul meets people. At first comes in Ephesus. He meets these people who don't seem to have the Holy Spirit, and they don't have these gifts. And so Paul talks to them. We're not going down that road this morning. Okay, if you want to go down that road, you are free. It's the Word of God. I would encourage you to do it. But we're just not going to go down that road. If you want to go down that road, though, the story, I think, actually starts in Acts 18 with Apollos. And so you should read that part before you get into verses 1 through 7. Anyway, that's kind of the first bit of Ephesus, but we're going to start in verse 8. He, that would be Paul, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So where does he go first? He goes to Ephesus. Where does he go? He goes to the Jewish worship center, if you will. And what does he do? He preaches the gospel. He preaches, here's the kingdom of God. And what happens? Verse 9, uh, some were com- com- uh, becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way. The way is just Christianity. That's what they called it back in, in the book of Acts. They called it the way. So they're speaking evil of, of the truth, of the gospel, of the way. Before the people, uh, he withdrew from them, and he took these disciples, these that have come to know Jesus, and he takes them to the school of Tyrannius. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, uh, just a little bit of background, try to fill in some of these blanks. Most commentators would say that at the school of Tyrannius, what is Paul doing? He's taking advantage, and this is making it 2022, so it probably didn't look just like this, but he's taking advantage of a lunch break. And there would be an empty hall, and there would be this... this uh, Empty hall that if you wanted to say something, you would show up in the hall and you'd start speaking, and people would come in and sit and listen. Okay, so, so in a weird way, you want to say something today, what do you do? You post it on Facebook. Back then, you had something you wanted everyone to know about. What did you do? You went to this hall during lunch break or some off time, and you started speaking and hope that people would come listen to you. Okay, so for two years, what is Paul doing? He is preaching the gospel at this school, and, and what's the result of this? Look at verse 10. So that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Like, like, here's this Asia mine, here's Turkey, like, here's this hubbub, here's this trade center, big city, uh, business going on. So Paul's preaching, and what's the result is that people would come and hear it, and then they would go back to their, back to their home, back to their area, wherever it was after this business trip that they were on, and they take the gospel with them. Like, what a beautiful thing that, that God is doing in sending Paul here to Ephesus. We're going to read just a little bit more. Go to verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Like, like look at the, look at what God's hand is on Paul, right? We're in Ephesus. People are, are hearing the gospel in the school of Tyrannus. They're experiencing the power of God as physical healings are taking place, as demons are being cast out. There's a somewhat funny story of people who think they can cast out demons, and the demons are like, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but I don't know you. And the story says that they ran out naked and, and afraid and all beat up. Like, if you, if, 
If you want to know if you want a, a fight or not, if you're, if you're not wearing clothes anymore and you're the one that's beat up, you probably lost that fight, right? And yet Paul here is the one who's casting out these demons. So like God's doing a great thing through Paul in, this, in the city of Ephesus. Right? Skip down to verse 18. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and dis- disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Like, like here's people who are practicing magic, some sort of magicians going on, some sort of sorcery, whatever you want to call it, and they're practicing, and what do they do? They hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel, and then what's the response? It's to burn their books. 50,000 pieces of silver worth. Like, like this is an amazing thing. This is, this is people that are now going to be part of this church. So when, so when Paul is writing this letter back to them about to this church, like he knows them. Like you used to be demon-possessed, and God saved you from that. You used to be one practicing magic, and God saved you from that. Now you're a part of this church, and I get to write a letter back to you, back to, back to your family, back to, back to this group of people. You were sick, your grandchildren were sick, whoever might have been sick, and, and, and Paul's handkerchief was brought to you, and you were healed. Like, how awesome would that be? Right? We'll keep going. We're not going to read this section. It gets kind of long. But uh, you see in verse 24, there's a man named Demetrius, and who is he? He's a silversmith. What does he do? He makes idols. And what is, what is his problem? His problem is business is really bad. Why? Because the gospel is going forth and nobody's buying the idols. No one's participating in the false worship anymore. So he's getting angry. He wants Paul shut down. Uh, and like this is, this is what's happening. The gospel is going forth in Ephesus. And as a result, it's going forth all over the area around Ephesus. Right, so a couple of thoughts. One, we got to understand, like, like, this is Paul. This is his story. He intimately knows these people. He's not just writing a letter from a distant, faraway land in Rome while he's in prison to some church that he heard about. Like, no, he knows them. He spent two, possibly three years here. Okay, but second thing I want us to be able to grasp, this is still the same God and same Savior we serve. So, so the idols, uh, the guy selling all the idols, like, his business goes down. Why? Because the gospel goes forth. And we think, man, that's cool. I, I, that'd be so cool if something like that happened today. And we don't really mean it. Like, we don't believe it. And yet I just want to encourage us, like, same God, same Savior, same gospel message. Like, this can happen in our community if we will go forth and share the gospel. All right, we're going to skip uh, over to Acts chapter 20. Um, he, he leaves for a little bit, comes back for a little bit. Uh, we'll skip some of that. But I just, in Acts 20, like, this is, uh, I mean, this is Paul's heart for the people. And we're not going to read all of it, starting in verse 18. And when they had come to him, that's the church, the people of Ephesus, he, Paul, says to the church, you yourselves know that from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith on our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? He says, I came to you in spite of persecution. I came to you in spite of opposition of these Jews who didn't want me to come here. I preached publicly. I preached in your houses. I preached one-on-one. I preached as much as I could that there would be repentance uh, toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I would, I would risk my health and my life at some level so that you might hear the gospel. Like, that's what Paul is saying to this church. Look down at verse 24. I do not consider my life any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. 
Again, like, like my, my life is valuable. What's more valuable is that you might hear the gospel. Like what's more valuable is that the gospel message might go forth into Ephesus and to these people. We prayed for Iran this morning. Like what is valuable? My life. What is more valuable is for that life to be able to go into Iran and share the gospel with people who have never heard it before. Like that's Paul's thinking. Like God has sent me to do this and so this is more valuable than my own life. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I didn't give you half the word of God. I didn't give you part of the word of God. No, I gave you all of the word of God. Verse 31, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who are with me. What is he saying? He said earlier, like I came to you in spite of persecution. I came in spite of opposition. Now what is he saying? He's saying, I came to you even though I had to fund my own way. Like we would say Paul's a tent maker, and, and that Greek word has this idea of just using leather, making things with leather. So maybe it was tents, maybe it was other things. But what's the picture? The picture is I'm working with my own hands so that I'm not a burden to you. Why? Because I want the gospel to go forth to you. And so if, if money's a problem, I'll take care of that. I'll find a way to fund myself. Uh, if, if persecution, opposition's a problem, that's fine. I'll, I'll, my life isn't that valuable to me. Like, like, I'm going to bring the gospel to you who are here in Ephesus. And so for two, uh, a little bit over two years most likely, here's Paul preaching the gospel, preaching repentance. And then we're just going to end where, where Acts ends the story. Verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they, this church, this body of believers that had been with him for two to three years, began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. What's the picture? The picture is that here's a group of people that loved Paul. Like, here's a group of people who, who dearly loved Paul. Like, he saved, he didn't save them, but he preached the gospel so they might get saved. Uh, he, he, his spirit used him to heal them, to cast out demons in their family. Like, like, they loved Paul. And Paul loved this church. And so from this moment, from verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 38 uh, of Acts 20 to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, is most likely four to six years. Some guys have different math on how things were done, but most likely somewhere in the four to six years range. So Paul leaves on the ship. He continues his missionary journey. Four to six years later, here's the letter that we're going to read this morning. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. And again, I'm not necessarily apologizing for reading the whole uh, book. We may never do this again. Uh, so... I, you know, good thing I didn't have this idea with the book of Mark. Um, that would have taken a lot longer. Um, but here's a couple of things I want us to, to think about. Okay? First thing, when we get to discussion group, one of the first questions I'm going to ask is, is just what stood out to you. In general, what stood out? Something you've never seen before? Maybe it's your favorite verse in the whole Bible, found in Ephesians. Great, share that with us. What's something that just personally stood out to you? Something you've never seen, something that you love, something that was just a good reminder in the season of life that you're in, as Austin would even talk about this morning, uh, Psalm 23, right? Sometimes Psalm 23 is like, oh, it's a great psalm. Sometimes Psalm 23 moves us to tears because of the season of life that we're in. Okay, so just what stands out to you? Second, I want you to look for some sort of theme, and I'm not talking about an overarching theme. I'm just thinking, hey, I've seen this word pop up like five or six times. And it might have been five or six times in, in, in three verses. <coughs> I'm not saying it's got to be 
You know, so you might just say, hey, chapter one, I saw this word a lot. I don't, I don't know if it's significant. I don't know why it's special. I don't know what it means, but I just saw this word a lot. And, and, and great, we'll talk about it. Maybe you'll see the same word over and over again throughout the whole book. Let's talk about it. Okay, last thing that I want us to look for. Okay, this is a church in Ephesus. Okay, there's a synagogue, so there's Jewish influence. There's a lot of non-Jewish people. So this church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Okay, what does that mean? It means that they, they different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different lifestyles, different ideologies, everything about them is different, and yet they would come into this church. Why? Because of, because of Jesus. They have one thing in common, it's Jesus Christ. And so what is going to be one of the emphases that we're going to see in this book is this idea of unity. Like, like we are in this together, even though we are different backgrounds and different skin color and different everything else, like we can still be one. And so I just want you to, one of the questions I'll ask in discussion group is, is where, where do we see unity in this book? And I'm just going to give you a hint. It might not be the word unity, right? It might be other words that you've got to pick up on. It might be a whole paragraph that's like, hey, this whole paragraph just kind of oozes out this idea of unity and togetherness and whatnot. Okay? So look for what stands out. Just anything that you think interesting, you liked, whatever. Look for some certain themes. Repeated words. Like, what's, what's, what, what is Paul trying to get out in the big picture of this book? Or just in the big picture of chapter 2 or whatever, right? Because we're going to get in the nitty-gritty. But I want us to see the big picture, okay? Last, look for things of unity, okay? So, here it goes. It may be the last time we ever do this, but we're going to start right now. Ephesians 1, verse 1. I'm going to try and read um, not fast, but not slow. We're right in the middle, right? Here we go. Goldilocks reading. Ephesians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, 
which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead on our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raises up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So then the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are, are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, the, the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. As I wrote before and breathe, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is that other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, has, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for, for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. 
Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he left captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the purpose, the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become cows, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor for performing with his own hands what is good, so that you will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, 
just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper and among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man, which is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists uh, in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours in heaven, and and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this, this book, this letter that, that the Apostle wrote that we get to dive into for the next couple of months. God, as, as we would just read this morning, God, may your Spirit take what we read, uh, certain aspects, certain parts, uh, and, and may your Spirit speak to us, may your Spirit convict, may your Spirit show us areas that we need to grow just from, just from a reading of your Word this morning. God, I pray for wisdom as we move forward in this series. I pray that you would bless this series. I pray that you would use this to grow us in the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, Grow your church, grow us individually to become more and more like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.